Gospel of Matthew. Stories that Jesus told is our theme for the next few weeks. We'll begin with Matthew chapter 13 and the first parable that we find there, the parable of the sower and the soils. Before we do, let me get myself organized here. There, you know, there, there are only two kinds of people in the world. You know that? Well, yeah, there is Army and Navy. Is that what you meant? <laughs> there is that for sure. Um, there are two kinds of people in the world. There are those people that understand statistics and those who don't. It's true. And seriously, I don't think there's anyone in the middle. You either, you either get it or you don't. The spring semester of my sophomore year at West Point, I had to take statistics. West Point is an engineering school, and every student would either major in engineering or major in something else and take classes sufficient for about a minor in engineering. My major was political science, so the classes I took in engineering were for systems engineering. It was called operations research back then. Nonetheless, I had to take stats spring semester of my sophomore year. Never had statistics before. I made my way through the class, uh, what I thought was with an adequate adequate grasp of the material. I even thought the final was easy. And that was really important for for me to like ace that final because that summer I had big plans. I was going to air assault school in Fort Campbell, Kentucky. You know, you repel from helicopters. That's pretty cool. I was also going to Northern Warfare School in Alaska. I was going to climb glaciers and learn uh, winter war. It was going to be great. It was going to be great. And then I got my statistics final grade back, and I failed the class, which meant summer term academic program, STAP, because you know there's an acronym for everything in the Army, summer school, gone, were air assault school, northern warfare schools. I was stuck at West Point for the bulk of the semester, or the bulk of the summer, rather. I ended up passing... Statistics with a C, which I think was divine intervention. (laughs) Kim, on the other hand, Kim, on the other hand, got an A in statistics in college the first time. How how on earth does someone who is not an an engineering major or a math major get an A in statistics? The dear girl just understood it, right? Because there are two kinds of people in the world. Those who don't understand statistics and those who do. Understanding was the difference. Now, I don't, I don't mean the obvious, I get how to do the problems, but just a sense of how the thing works and what it's for and how to use it. Statistical dots connected in Kim's brain. She understood it and I did not, and that was the difference. Understanding like this, just seeing how things fit together, even if why they fit isn't obvious, is a key concept in our study of the parables of the kingdom, stories Jesus told. Beginning this morning, we will be spending the next 14 weeks looking at 14 different parables. There are roughly 38 parables in the synoptic gospels. John has none. I've printed for you a short guide on some key aspects of knowing and interpreting the parables. The parables in Scripture don't have contemporaries in any other literature. I mean, there are myths and fables and stories full of metaphor and analogy out there, uh, but none resembles those found in the Bible. So take that insert for a moment, and let's talk about a couple of the items that you find there. First, the theme. Theme of the parables. The theme is always the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. 
of heaven and of God are used interchangeably in the Gospels. The Lord, using parables, lays out the character of the kingdom and of the king. Jesus doesn't teach using parables, and that's an important distinction. He doesn't teach using parables. There's a big difference between the Sermon on the Mount and the parables of the kingdom. Theme is always the kingdom of God. The form of the parables. Parables are complex, sometimes cryptic stories that make one or more points, usually using three groups or agents or events. Some parables make three points, some make two, some make one. Normally, how many points depends on the number of main characters in the story, which leads us to interpreting the parables. We will focus on the main characters and follow the intent that Jesus has behind those things. We'll see that even today. We'll have to be careful, though, not to assign a deeper meaning to every single detail that we find. Sometimes details are just details. The purpose. And this is where it gets interesting. The purpose, we can boil down to this. The purpose of parables is to hide the kingdom from those who reject it and to reveal the kingdom to those who accept it. As we'll see today, when Jesus explains why he uses parables with the crowds, he'll bring in a quote from Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. His intent using parables is to harden those who reject him and to soften those who accept him. Here's where we come back to statistics. Its meaning was hidden from me. The more I hammered on it, that nut would not crack, the more disinterested I became. For Kim, the meaning wasn't hidden. As she was taught, she just got it. And in doing the work, she prospered. The parables are just like that, hidden to some, revealing to others, and it all hinges on understanding. So our text for today is Matthew chapter 13, verses 1 through 23. Jesus lays out this parable of the sower and the soils, why he speaks in parables, as well as he gives an interpretation. He doesn't always do this, uh, give an interpretation, because his intent is to hide or to reveal, not just to the crowds, but to all who read the parables. Now, remember last week, our focus was on the character, understanding the character of the kingdom so that we could rightly live in it. Today, the question our text answers is this. How do we understand the responses to the kingdom of heaven among men? How do we understand the responses to the kingdom of heaven among men? I mentioned that parables make several points, usually using three agents or groups. This is one such parable. There are three different actors here, so we'll have three different points. The first actor is the sower. The second is the inhospitable soils. And the third is the good soil. Three things found in this parable unpack the responses. Number one, point, our point, first point is this. The sower, who is God, is selecting his people. That's why he's using parables. He's selecting his people. Number two, not every rejection of the message is the same. And number three, not every fruitful response is the same. All right? That's our, that's our path this morning. Let's pray, and then we'll read parts of Matthew 13 as we get to it. Father, we turn to this word now, and... I ask that you would give us understanding, that we would see what the kingdom means, what's the king up to in this parable. Teach us, O Lord, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. 
All right, let's read. Uh, our first point is this. In order to understand the varied responses to the kingdom of heaven, we, we need to see that the sower is selecting his people. Let's read Matthew 13, beginning in verse 1. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach, and he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on the rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on the good soil and produced some grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given." And he will have an abundance, but from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand, and you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull. And with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed be your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see, and did not see it, and to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what's been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. And as for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. And as for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. For this first point where we talk about how the sower is sowing and by sowing, selecting his people. We're going to focus on verses 10 through 17. In that passage, Jesus says something very strong. In fact, had we been reading in Matthew up to this point in chapter 10, we would have heard Jesus say this, do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. His choice then of parables to communicate to the crowd is him wielding this sword, a sword that strikes down some and a sword that saves others. Look at verse 10. The disciples came to him and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. This is a pretty hard-hitting response, isn't it? 
What do you make of this? He strikes even harder. Look at verse 12. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken. The the parables are powerful, and they are subtle. They sneak past our logical defenses, and with the story and with meaning, they, they grip the hearer confronting him with something unexpected. To you it has been given, but to them it has not been given. They all heard the parables, and each of them had to decide to accept or reject what Jesus was telling them about the kingdom. For some, it, was, it made quick sense. Think of Kim and statistics. For others, it took time to understand, but eventually it happened. That was me. For still others... It hardened them. He says, to you it has been given, but to them it has not been given. The form of this phrase, has been given, indicates a a previous decision to open the eyes of some to the kingdom and not others. Paul speaks of this in his own way in Ephesians chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. In love, he predestined us to adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. What has been given? The secrets of the kingdom of heaven. That word secrets in other places is translated as mysteries. The use of this word in the New Testament is to communicate that there are things that cannot be known by our powers of investigation. There are things hidden from us that only God can reveal to our understanding. These hidden things are facts like this. Israel being hardened so the Gentiles could come to the kingdom, Romans eleven twenty five. Or the revelation of the good news that saves in a foolish message of the gospel. That's Romans 16, 25. Or the wisdom hidden in the gospel that that only faith can apprehend. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 7. Or the way marriage reveals Christ's relationship to the church. Ephesians 5, 32. In each place, Paul speaks of the mysteries of the kingdom, the secrets that were hidden until the Lord revealed them. None of these things could be grasped or known unless God had revealed them to his people by his spirit. Jesus uses parables so that some will see the secrets and others will become more blind to them. Look at verse 12. For to the one who has, more will be given. He will have an abundance, but from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken. The parables themselves reveal the mysteries of the kingdom the secrets that have long been hidden. They bring a fuller and richer understanding of the kingdom of heaven to those who have been given grace to hear. And this just begins the bountiful grace bestowed on them by the Lord. Look what he says, to the one who has, more will be given and he'll have an abundance. But to those who have not received the grace of God, whatever hope they had to be enlightened, by Jesus' use of the parable, that light went out. You understand? On the one hand, the sword of the Lord, the parable, enlightens. On the other hand, that same sword hardens. This is what Paul said, right? The gospel is the aroma of life to some and the aroma of death to others. It's the same message. Verse 13, this is why I speak to them in parables, that seeing they do not see 
and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Perhaps we might think that Jesus uses parables simply because the people are dense or they're uneducated or they prefer stories or something like that. That in using them, he can overcome their blindness and they'll see. But that doesn't appear to be the case, does it? He uses parables to make the unbelieving more blind and more deaf to his kingdom. In some way, to take what they have. Mark's version of this parable says this, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. In the next few verses, we see the sower's intent is truly to select his people. We'll see this in two ways. Number one, Jesus quotes from Isaiah 6 in verses 14 and 15, finally to explain to the disciples that his use of parables is to harden, which is a long-standing prophetic tool. Look at verse 14. Indeed, in their case, Jesus talks about the crowd the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, you will indeed hear but never understand. You'll indeed see but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull and with their ears they can barely hear and with their eyes have closed lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. Isaiah's charge was not to proclaim the good news. His was to harden the hearts of the disobedient. Listen to the conversation the Lord had with Isaiah back in Isaiah chapter 6. After the seraphim touched his lips with the hot coal, here's what happened. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I, Isaiah, said, here I am, send me. He had no idea what the mission was going to be. And the Lord said, go and say to this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Listen, he says, make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. You see what Isaiah's mission was? God sent him to the rebellious people, not with a word of hope or salvation, but with a hardening word, a word of justice and judgment and punishment. And by using the parables to the ones who have not been given the grace to see, Jesus was doing precisely what Isaiah had done, hardening people against the kingdom, confirming for them their alienation from God. But thanks be to God, there's more. Look at verse 16. But blessed be your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. For those to whom it has been given, the parables of the kingdom make its depth and richness and fullness come alive. The things Jesus reveals in the parables and in his teaching is what God promised to Adam and to Abraham and to Moses and all the prophets, pictures of the kingdom of heaven. For the ones who understand, we are greatly blessed for we see and hear mysteries prepared and yet hidden until now. You see, the sower is using parables to reveal the hearts of those who hear and thus welcome into the kingdom his people and shut out those who are not. It's no surprise that the very next parable in Matthew 13 is what? The wheat and the weeds. In this parable, 
he explains the seed sower is basically sowing the field with seed so that the wheat and the weeds can start to grow and to show themselves. Earlier, I mentioned basically three kinds of responses happen in light of the parables. Two are obvious and one is not. Here's the first obvious one. Some, to whom it has been given, grasp its meaning right away. They hear of the kingdom and are immediately moved by God's Spirit to embrace it. They're like those folks, you know those 3D posters? Do you know what they're called? Auto stereograms. Write that down. You can take that to the bank now. It's like those, these, this first group is like those people who can look at that thing and go, oh yeah, look out, it's coming at me. That's the first group. Things are just obvious about the kingdom to this group. They hear the parables, they grasp the meaning. And it isn't because they've got some secret knowledge or are educated or in some position of authority. It is because in the will of God, he granted them understanding. The second group is also obvious. The opposite of group one, some to whom it has not been given will reject the parables as foolish and unintelligible. These people are obstinate in their unbelief. They're skeptical and mock the kingdom. And the parables just convince them that they're right to do so. They hear the parables and they reject them. And once again, these folks don't reject the kingdom because they're too smart or not smart enough or too rich or not rich enough. They reject the parables because the sower has hidden their meaning from them. Third group is, this is not so obvious, some to whom it has been given slowly grasp the meaning of the parables and thus the kingdom of God. At first, shades of understanding come to view and and after time and teaching, they come to see the kingdom. They come to embrace the kingdom. They come to faith in Christ. In many ways, the disciples were like that, right? Among the 12, you know who the last one was probably to come to faith? It was Thomas. I had to see. I had to hold in my hand. He was, it took him a long time, but eventually... He grasped the kingdom of God. Luke tells us also in the book of Acts that literally, that's literally what happened to the Apostle Paul. Scales fell from his eyes. Surely the Apostle Paul heard all of the teaching of Jesus, knew all of the parables, but it just wasn't time for him to come to faith until it was time. Beloved, the sower, God through his spirit, casts the seeds, the message of the kingdom, widely so that responses come, so that those to whom it's been given are saved quickly or eventually. And those to whom it is not are rejected. We, who sit as citizens in this kingdom, have the opportunity to reflect on the fact that we did not deserve to have our eyes opened or our ears unstopped, did we? It was the grace of God, the Father's will, the Son's work, the Spirit's presence that has made the kingdom of God ours. It is only grace that has done this. Beloved, you and I who have put our faith in Christ have done so because God so loved the world. He so loved us. So this first point basically explained why some responded to the teaching of the parables and some didn't. This next point will unpack some of the responses of those who reject the kingdom. A little bit more detail. So we're going to make our our way through this parable. We're going to look both at the parable that Jesus spoke to the crowd and also its companion explanation Um, that Jesus gave to the disciples. Three kinds of soil where no seed takes root. Soil number one, on the path. Look at verse three. Behold, the sower went out to sow, and in sowing, some fell upon the path, and the birds came, consuming it. Look at verse 19. 
Yet when tribulation comes, because of following Jesus, and Jesus promises us that it does, they drop out of the kingdom. They misunderstood the nature of the kingdom and of following the Lord, believing that once you become a Christian or once you come into the church or once you come into the kingdom, then there's no more difficulty and no more suffering and no more pain and no persecution. Perhaps they think there's no need to deny ourselves and take up our crosses, just that we follow, whatever that means. When the enemies of the kingdom arise and confront these people, they take offense. They blame God, weakness of his kingdom. So it's not supposed to happen. And they walk away. So number three, among the thorns. Look at verse seven. But another fell upon the thorns and the thorns grew up and choked it. Verse 22. What was sown upon the thorns? This is the one hearing the word, yet the cares of this age, deceitfulness of wealth, chokes the word and it becomes unfruitful. This group also hears the message, yet the soil was already planted with thorns. Jesus explains these are the cares of the age. <clears throat> and the deceitfulness of wealth. John addresses this, 1 John chapter 2. You might know this. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but it's from the world. This kind of thing is precisely what happened to the rich young ruler, right? He came to Jesus. Matthew chapter 19 the rich man said to Jesus, all these commandments I have kept, what do I still lack? Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go and sell what you possess and give to the poor. And you'll have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. A prior commitment to the prosperity of our age cannot coexist with living in the kingdom of God. The sower and the seed are the same throughout the ages. Yet their effectiveness is directly related to the soil the seed lands on. Whenever the message of the kingdom hits one of these soils, these hearts, it produces nothing for the sower. I think the message here is obvious. Different people reject the message for different reasons. Just because we give a clear and in our mind compelling invitation to the kingdom and it's rejected doesn't mean we can pinpoint why. But let's make two not so obvious but just as important applications. First, and this is important. Soils may change. I'm a gardener, and I often add compost or dead leaves or <clears throat> grow stones or fertilizers and so forth to the growing beds. Changing the composition of the soil makes it more hospitable to the seeds and the plants that I sow. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes I have to not put that plant in that spot so that next year I can put that plant in that spot. Soils may change. To drop the metaphor, the Lord can change the hearts of men and women who are like these three resistant soils. Initially resistant to the gospel, have a wrong understanding of the kingdom, or are too committed to the things of the world. If he can make a spiritually dead enemy, his son or daughter, then he can certainly change the composition of the souls of people's hearts that they might hear and believe the gospel. Beloved, we don't, we don't know who has been granted to believe, do we? The names of the elect are known only to God, and, and you might have a story of a history of resistance to the faith until the Lord opened your eyes. What if people 
who were praying for you or proclaiming the faith to you just decided to stop because you were resistant. We must be diligent to pray for those in our lives who are currently outside the family of faith. Jesus saves sinners. He answers the prayers of his people. Secondly, fruitlessness is found inside as well as outside the church, right? The different soils and explanations don't simply represent those outside the church, but they accurately describe the soul, the soils of our own hearts, depending on the issue or depending on the season. We might think this parable concerns only with those who are outside the kingdom, but beloved, you and I have these same seasons where our soils become like this. Let me ask you this. Are you ever disinterested in the message of the kingdom? When we preach the law that says, deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow Christ. Or when we read the Bible's instructions concerning how we handle sexuality or modesty or eating or drinking or loving God and not money or not being harsh or deceptive or aloof. Are you always interested and ready to act on what God's word preaches? I'm not. And neither are you. How different are we in that moment from the hard path where the seed just bounces right off? Are we smug and self-righteous about our lives because we believe core truths of Scripture, but the ones that really pinch how we live our lives, those aren't so open to correction? Ask the Holy Spirit this question. Lord, where am I not open to your exhortation, correction, or instruction? In what areas or situations or practices is my heart hard? Perhaps living differently in these ways would adorn our messages to the people to be saved so they don't just hear from us, but they also see it in us. Disinterest is a problem. Here's a second question. Are you deceived about the true nature of the kingdom of God? We talked this, about this last week. The kingdom of God isn't uniformity, but it's unity. It's not talk, but it's power. But it's, it's a narrow path, though oftentimes through the valley of the shadow of death. Jesus told us that if the world hated him, it would hate us. The Bible's clear, Romans 12, 12, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. 2 Corinthians 4, 16, so we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Here's one, 1 Peter 4.12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. It is the hardship that is inherent in following Jesus that causes some to walk away from the kingdom. Kim and I were talking recently about how many, how many ways we are untested as God's people, right? We are not like our brethren who are in underground churches or sneak around or hide their Bibles from their families. That's not us. We have to endure, but what you and I are enduring is the erosion of our comforts. We are truly suffering, not in the main There's no sense in wishing for suffering, but we cannot expect that since we belong to the Lord Jesus that we're somehow immune. No, beloved. This place is not our home, and therefore it is 
only once we're home that we will be immune. Let me ask you this. Do you get angry at God? Is anger at God ever justified? Does God ever do wrong? Does God ever sin? Why do we get angry with God? Because in a moment or a season, His providential plan crosses ours, and instead of receiving God's good but mysterious plan, we rail against Him, we shout at Him, we call Him all kinds of blasphemous things. And some who were happy in the kingdom because of what it could do for them leave, Others of us, in those moments, we tell God what life in His kingdom should be like rather than live in the kingdom that God has laid before us. How different are we in that moment from the shallow soil where the seed digs in but the difficulties of the world scorch it? Are you distracted by your lives? The message of the kingdom The instructions of God's Word often lands in the hearts of those who are terribly distracted by the world. Distracted may be too generous in some cases. There are some times when we are downright in love with things in this world. And as we give ourselves to them, whatever spiritual growth the Spirit was at work doing in our lives is is short-circuited, resisted, or it's even undone. What may distract us? Certainly work, climbing the corporate ladder, being over-interested in making money, schoolwork, friendships, keeping up our social media image, politics, the stock market, your health and physical fitness, the latest shows on Netflix, Hulu, Amazon Prime, Paramount Plus, Apple Plus, (laughs) video games, sports teams. They may not, there may not be anything inherently wrong with these except that they compete with our faith for our time, our energy, our resources, and our love. Are you following me? Do we really think the things of this world are neutral? That the time we spend on them doesn't have an impact on our love for the kingdom of God? that we somewhat, somehow have the power to regulate how our culture affects us. That may be the greatest coup of the devil, to convince us that we think we can handle eating the sick cultural soup we're swimming in. We obviously need to study the book of Revelation so that we can see how our enemy is fueling and shaping our culture and how little power we actually have to control it. Parents, We are training our children what to love by what we do, what we spend our money on, and what we get our children involved with. Will our children grow up with the kingdom of God in their lives, or will it be something that they learn to sample when it's convenient? Young people, as you scroll through mindless TikToks, as you take endless selfies of different ways to purse your lips... You're training your heart what to love and what not to love. You will be affected by all that time you spend watching videos, playing video games, and listening to Doja Cat. As you grow older, 
you will see how much of your heart you have given to the things of this world, to the things that will not only bring, not, not only not bring benefit to your soul, but will burden it. Beloved, no one can fully protect his or her heart from being disinterested, deceived by the nature of the world, or distracted from the things of this world. It has happened to every human in every age on every continent with only one exception, Jesus Christ. He knows what it means to face every temptation and overthrow it. And he gives us, when we grab Jesus Christ by faith, he gives us his overcoming spirit so that we do not have to be undone by the difficulties and the powers of our culture. No faithfulness, fruitfulness can be ours. It's for this reason, this reason alone that Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. There's one other kind of soil to consider. Look at Matthew chapter 13, verse 13. Rather, verse 23. On the other hand, what was sown upon the good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands who now bears fruit and yields some a hundredfold, others sixtyfold, others thirtyfold. There are three things to note here. Number one, we have to keep verse 11 in mind. To you it has been given. That's another way to understand how it is that some seeds find good soil. All soils, all the hearts of men are bad soil until God makes them differently. He prepares the heart of the hearer so that when the message of the kingdom is received, the response is faith and fruitfulness. That's number one. Number two, faith and fruitfulness are guaranteed by God's design. When the message of the kingdom lands on soil that God has prepared, fruitfulness is always the result. Jesus doesn't say fruitfulness sometimes happens when the message of the kingdom lands on good soil. It will always happen. Number three, fruitfulness varies by God's design. The differences in fruitfulness are due to the soil, which is due to God's preparation of the soil. You following me? While we should always strive to serve the Lord in His kingdom to our utmost for His glory, that will mean some do more and others do less, and that is God's design. One parable we're going to consider is one of the talents. You know that parable. The master wasn't mad at the servant who made only two talents, right? He got the well done just as the one who earned five talents. Some fruitfulness will vary. Beloved, for the one who puts his faith in Christ is connected to the vine. No one can be connected to Christ and bear no fruit. That's impossible. Jesus exhorts us to abide in him, obey his word, work out our salvation. But before the command to do that, we have the promise that it will be done by God, guaranteed. So two quick applications. First, do you believe that as you follow Christ, you will bear fruit? Do you believe that as you follow Christ, you will bear fruit? That you will grow to love holiness more and sin less? That you will be inclined to serve others more than just simply to serve yourself? That you will be slower to sin and quicker to repent when you do? Beloved, these are guaranteed to happen to the one to whom it has been given. To the one who has the good soil prepared by the Lord himself, these things will happen. Listen, just because you don't see as much progress as you think you should doesn't mean that there isn't progress. 
You ever seen grass grow? Sometimes change is like watching grass. Other times it's like watching water boil. I mean, it's faster on the one hand and slower on the other. Don't fret. Don't fret about being fruitful. Trust in the Lord that he is at work in you and that will work, will become more evident as you walk with him. Secondly, do you see fruit in your life? Listen to Paul. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Do you see these things in your life? Would those close to you agree? If you do not see them, then the answer is simple. Repent of your sins. Put your faith in Jesus Christ. Receive the work of Christ as your own in humility. Ask him to save you from your sins and give you the hope of heaven. Today is that day. But if you're convinced in your heart that you are saved, yet you still not see the fruits in abundance, then beloved, the answer is the same. Repent of your slowness of heart, willingness to be lazy in your kingdom work. Receive the assurance that you're pardoned in Christ. The Spirit dwells within you and He will deliver you to more holiness, more godliness, more joy. Just as He did with the Apostle Paul. But God also blesses us in yet another way. For those of us who have put our faith in Jesus Christ, who are struggling to be fruitful, He gives us the means of grace. He gives us this meal to eat. And so let's eat.